have any connection or um, uh, any Jewish heritage at all. I have none that I'm aware of. But yet the nation of Israel is important to me because of it's important to God. And because Israel is very important to the story of Scripture. And, and their story is really our story. Because the Bible says that we've actually been brought into the family. We've been adopted. It actually uses that we've been engrafted into the nation of Israel now. So I was not a Jew by birth. But you could say it this way. I'm a Jew by rebirth. Which is the coming alive unto Christ. Right? And, and so anyhow. so But Israel has a very, very challenging history. No nation has, has uh, experienced or taken on... Uh, the aggression that Israel has. To give you an idea, the nation of Israel is approximately the size of the state of New Jersey. And yet it's one of the most contested pieces of property and land anywhere on the planet. Jerusalem is a big deal. Why? When Jesus, the Bible says he ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1, he left from Jerusalem. And many scholars believe, and I would hold to this, is I believe that when Jesus returns, the first place he will put his foot down is actually on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And there's all kinds of, of things that I can, and, and, and about this. And so, but I want to give you a little bit of backstory. One of the, and I, I'm going to share this with you just briefly, but it, Jesus made a statement and says, the generation that sees Israel become a nation, that generation will not pass away. Before the coming of the Lord. Israel became a nation in 1948 after World War II. So after World War I, there was something called the Belfort Declaration. And it was actually a, a letter written by Great Britain saying that Israel should have land in the area known as Palestine. Now it took 31 years, because that was 1917, 1948. The British Empire, if you will, had a what's called a colonial mandate... On the land that we call Israel today. And it, it, it expired in 1948. And so Jesus made the statement. says, hey, these things are going to happen. And in one day, Israel claimed that land. When that had expired, their colonial mandate expired. Israel said, we're going to, we claim this land. And our president, at the time it was President Truman, said, we're going to recognize Israel as a nation in one day. And that was actually talked about in scripture. I'll show you the scripture here in a few minutes. And, and so there's so much of these things. And that's one sign, one thing that God said would happen and say, well, how, how can you be so sure? Because the Bible says it. And if I can't trust one part of the Bible, why should I trust any of it? I mean, like, let me give you an example of this. Many times people want to say, have questions about heaven and hell, although Jesus talked much more about hell. But if I can't trust what Jesus said about hell, how can I trust what he said about heaven? Right? The Bible is not a buffet. We don't pick and choose. It's either God's word and it's either true or it's not. Now, I want to, and so here in Matthew 24, you know, I want to read this to you because I know, Sometimes the thought can be had of this is that, you know, that things are just going to like get to a fever pitch and then Jesus is going to come in like the superhero in the movie and rescue us out of here. And everything's like, it's just going to be like, oh my gosh, it's chaos, right? But the Bible actually tells us a very different picture in Matthew 24. And I want to read you a couple of scriptures. 
Jesus speaking, he says, when the son of man returns, it will be like in the days of Noah or in Noah's day. It says in those days before the flood, people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time that Noah entered the boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the son of man comes. So this is what I want you to know. One of the things that we can know from scripture is this, is the attitude of the day is going to be business as usual. It's not going to be like, oh my gosh, things are so bad. Jesus has to be coming back. No, the Bible actually says here that what? That people didn't even realize what was going on. So it's not like we're just going to get to this climactic moment where it's like everything's just falling apart and Jesus comes in. That's not what scripture says. It says it's going to be like in the days of Noah. People are going to be going to their parties. People are going to be getting married. People are going to be living their lives. Now, that doesn't mean that there won't be issues. It doesn't, I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying that people, it will be normal. It will not be like this moment of just chaos like we maybe think. And so we need to understand about Scripture this, is that roughly 30% of Scripture is prophetic. It's God telling you ahead of time, like there's a peace agreement that was signed two days ago. That God predicted 2,500 years ago. There are predominantly Muslim nations right now. This is the third one who has made a peace treaty with Israel in the last two months. They've had hundreds of years with no peace treaties. And now these nations who have been very much against the nation of Israel and basically their existence. Are now saying... We will not attack you and we are going to have business operations. And they're basically saying, hey, we're going to be friendly to one another. And we see where nations and they, that have traditionally not been aligned or at least coming together to partner together. But the Bible actually says it would happen. So if we see scripture, we understand it. Like I'll give you another thing just to kind of give you a little bit of knowledge. When the Bible talks about Persia, how many of you know where Persia is today? It's modern day Iran and Iraq and Afghanistan. But in the Bible, many times you hear it and it'll say things like to the prince of Persia. That's that region. You know, I, I mean, and, and so we can see these things, but you do have to understand a few things about Scripture. You have to understand some things about what God says. But the thing that I love, and this is probably one of the things and the reasons why I believe the Bible to the degree that I do, is I love that I can read Scripture and it will tell me about things before they ever happen. Because it gives me the confidence to say, this isn't just somebody's opinion, it's not just a good theory, is that there's no way that human beings in our limited knowledge and, and understanding and information could predict things with such accuracy. And so one of the things that we have to know about the end times is that, and it's very important, is that God gives us prophecy for what? To prepare us not to scare us. Because when you start talking about end times, people get weirded out. And I used to think that too. You know, it just freaked you out. You're like, I don't know about that. I don't want to know anything about it. No, God tells us things because he wants to prepare us for what's coming so that we're not caught off guard. I mean, like when we read things, we should be like, oh, well, this is what the Bible said was going to happen. It shouldn't be like, I can't believe this is happening. No, we need to have an understanding of this. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, and here's what I know. When we anticipate something, we prepare for it, right? Like we just experienced, everybody knows, two hurricanes. 
How many of you made preparations around your house? You packed up things, you put them in the shed, you put them in the garage, you maybe boarded up your windows. You, you did certain things to prepare. Why? Because you knew something was coming, <laughs> right? Well, the same is true in this. When we anticipate it, we prepare. See, one of the things that also is that prophecy gives us hope. Is that it reminds us, hey, this is not our home. This isn't the end. Is it gives us hope and it's a reminder that what? We're just passing through. This is not forever. This is not the most important part of our existence. This is a, a, a short time. You know, I, I've shared this before, but I wanted to use it for context. Because the Bible gives almost roughly around a little over 300 prophecies concerning the birth of Christ. And if, you, if you're a numbers person, if you're into this kind of stuff, I would encourage you. There's a book that was written in the 60s called Science Speaks. It was written by a college professor. And he talked about the probability. He, he, that's what he did. He was a college professor of statistics. And he has some really long title. I won't even begin to try to tell you what it is. His name was Peter Stoner. And he did the probability that one human being could fulfill just eight of the 300 prophecies about Jesus. It was everything from where he would be born to where he would go, all these things. And Jesus's birth and the events surrounding his birth fulfilled every single one of them. So I would encourage you because I don't want to take the time to explain it all. But basically it was like it's almost infinity. It's almost impossible for one human being to fulfill eight of the 300 So keep that in mind. So there's 300 prophecies about the birth of Christ. There's over 1,800 prophecies about the second coming of Christ. 300 about the birth, over 1,800. So the Bible talks about this a lot. This is not like some, like, that's not that big a deal. I'm just going to slip this into the back end of this chapter. Maybe nobody will pay attention. The Bible is literally telling the story of God's redemption from Genesis to Revelation. And it's so neat to see it. And so God tells the future with what? Perfect accuracy. Perfect accuracy. That God's word proves true. And the the more that we walk things out, the more we realize that God's word is actually confirming. You know, I, I, I made this statement earlier, but I'll read you the scripture but is that God tells us the end from the beginning that comes out of Isaiah 46 verses 9 and 10. This is the Amplified Bible, but it says, Remember carefully the former things, the things that I've done from ages past, for I am God and there is no one else. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end and the results from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things which you have, which have not yet been done, saying, my purpose will be established and I will do all that pleases me and it will fulfill my purpose. See, there's so many times that the Bible told us what was going to happen long before it ever happened. And that gives us confidence that what? If it was true, then it'll be true now. See, God has a plan. We are on a timeline, if you want to say it that way. Is that God, this is not as random as we may think. Is that God has already established the days and the times and the time frames. Doesn't mean that we necessarily know all of them. I mean, you can go as far as the Bible says that God sets the times and the seasons of every nation and their boundaries. In other words, a nation will exist as long as God allows it to. And when he says it's time's up, Guess what? 
It's time's up. Every empire who has ever risen against the nation of Israel, guess what? They're not here today. Not a single one. The Roman Empire considered to be one of the strongest, most powerful ever. They were protective of the Jewish nation for many years, a long, long, long time. But when they became adversarial, it fell apart. And that's repeated time after time after time throughout human history. You don't even have to read the Bible. Go read history. History will support everything that the Bible says. Man, I know there's a lot of debate about who Jerusalem belongs to. They're doing archaeological digs right now finding Jewish artifacts from thousands of years ago. And it confirms they were there. It was their land. And yet there's all this debate about it going on. And so I mentioned this earlier. And and so it's an important thing to know when we're talking about end times. Now, I can just tell you some of this may be a little too technical for some of you. I enjoy this stuff. Like this is the stuff that I kind of geek out on. So if I lose you, I'm sorry. But I enjoy this stuff. This is like where I get really into scripture. And, uh, you know, because of what it means and what it stands for. And it's what gives me the confidence that says this thing is true. You know, and it's what gives me the ability to look at what all is going on in our world and say, I still have hope. Why? Because God said this thing's going to end in a certain way. And what I know is that for me and for you as believers, it's going to end well. It's not going to end in catastrophe. It's going to end well. And so in scripture, there's two things that we see and and it's important to know the difference. And so how do we know? Are we there yet? Because the Bible talks about signs and signals and they're different. Signs are like an arrow that points you in a direction. Just like up here on this little graphic, right? If you want to go to I-20 West, you got to go what? That way, which, hey, isn't that neat? It actually is pointing in the right direction. (laughs) Didn't intend that. I just noticed that. But it's that that's a sign, right? Well, signs just point you and say, they're just pointing you in a direction. A signal is different. A signal is like a stopwatch. A signal is like a red light and a green light. Signals start things, signals stop things. And and so the Bible is very clear about this. And so we need to understand that this is the way God works. And so there are things that are signs pointing to the return of Christ. But Israel becoming a nation, 1948, that was a signal. God started a clock. Why? Because he said that generation will not pass away. Now, there's lots of debate, lots of debate about how long is a generation. Your guess is as good as mine. That's what I'm going to tell you. Now, there's also debate because 1967, Jerusalem was won back in something we call the Six-Day War. It's where Jerusalem actually, you go read a little bit about it basically surprised three other nations and won back Jerusalem. A lot of people were not happy that Israel had done that, but that is rightfully their land. Now, and you say, well, why does all of this matter? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you get there. Just give me a minute, okay? But it's important that we know these things because one of the things is that we can look at in the Bibles over and over and over is that Israel is a huge signal throughout Scripture about biblical prophecy. It's not just a sign, it's a signal. Signals have time frames, and that's important. I mean, just like you sit, you go to the red light, it doesn't stay red forever. There's a time frame attached to it. And then it's going to go green, and then what? It'll go back, why? Because there's a time frame. Well, this is true about this as well. So I want to read you a scripture out of Joel in the Old Testament, 
chapter three, verse one and two. Now this is Jesus. Or I'm sorry, this is the Lord actually talking about the nation of Israel, and He's really talking about them reforming as a nation. But I want you to to see some of the language in which God uses here, because this is actually talking about the last days. It's actually talking about the Battle of Armageddon. It's the stage that's being set. And I don't have time to get into all of that because I haven't studied enough to communicate it to you yet. So how about that? I'll just be honest with you. But uh, here in Joel chapter 3, verse 1, he says, For behold, in those days and at that time. So again, those days, that time. It's not random. It's specific. He says, I will bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem. Because what happened to the... The Jewish people, as they were scattered throughout the earth, they had no home, they had no place to go. Many people, many Jewish people came to America seeking asylum after World War I and World War II even. But in the last 50 to 60 years, many people that have a Jewish heritage have been drawn back to that land. And even they've asked them, why, why did you come back? They're like, I don't know. I just, I felt this draw to come back. Well, here, God says, I will bring them back. And he says, I will also gather all nations and will bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. He says, and I will enter into judgment on them there. Now, listen to this language. I've highlighted a couple words. On account of my people, my heritage, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations, and they have divided up my land. That sounds really personal. My people. My heritage, my land. It's not just about the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. It's about what God says, this is mine. And God says that those specifically are my people. And that land belongs to me. It doesn't belong to any other nation. They can make all the claims they want. God says it's his. And it's important if God takes that kind of ownership and it matters to him, then it should matter to us. It really should. And so I want to give you, and I, I, I'm going to give credit because I got this out of a book from Pastor Jimmy Evans. It's called Tipping Point. If you want a lot more detail, I would encourage you. You can either read it. If you're a reader, get the audio book, however you want. But he goes into much more detail into this. But I love something that he said, and I'm, I want to share it with you, is that why does Israel or why does the Jewish nation matter to us? So there's three points. And so I'm stealing these from him. So I gave him credit. So now they're mine, right? You just have to give credit once. That's what I was told. So now, so why does the Jewish nation matter to us? Because it gave us the most important person. Jesus is a Jew. He is. He was born a Jew. He lived a Jew. He died as a Jew. He was resurrected as a Jew. So the most important person is Jewish. The most important book in human history was written by Jews. Almost exclusively. So the most important book is the Bible. In all the span of history, the Bible is the most important book. Why? Because it's the most accurate. Because it gives us instructions. The Jewish nation also gave us the most important organization in the world. We call it the church. The first church was made up completely of Jewish people. And then thankfully, they let us Gentiles come in. In case you're not aware, if you're not a Jew, you are a Gentile. <laughs> in God's eyes, there's only two types of people. Two. That's it. 
And it's important that we know these things. And, and so, you know, and I know that I'm kind of hitting a lot of, of, of things, but I, want, I just want you to see from Scripture how God says things. And, you know, I made mention a moment ago about how Israel became a nation in one day. And the Bible actually prophesies that in Isaiah 66. It actually talks about that. And, and I won't, for the sake of time, won't read it all, but it's important that we understand how these things happen. God said it would happen, and it has happened. No other nation has become a nation in a moment. I mean, think about it. For America to be founded, we had to fight a war, right? It's called the Revolutionary War. Well, that didn't happen in a day. It spanned many times, and just because we declared independence, it didn't happen on that day. It took time for that to develop and to happen and all that came along with it. So the nation of Israel became a nation again in a one day. I mean, earlier this, was it, I think it was the end of last year, maybe an earlier this year, is that we moved our embassy from Tel Aviv back into Jerusalem. That was a big deal. We were the first nation to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Since then, other nations have started moving their embassies to Jerusalem. Those are big deals. That's not like just a random headline that goes through the news feed. That's, a, that's significant. And there's lots of nations who are very angry about that. But it's setting the stage for what the Bible talks about, the Ezekiel 38 war, which is a, a, a collection of nations whose sole goal is to wipe Israel off the face of the planet. That's really the goal. And the Bible talks about it in great detail. The nations, the time frames, who they are, who will be allied with Israel, who will be against Israel. The Bible talks in great detail about it. But it's in Ezekiel. About 3,000, well actually about 3,500, 4,000 years from our present day. That's when it was talked about. And so we can see all these things. It's not as random as we think. And so we need to understand this. We need to see these things. See, one of the things that we can do and one of the mistakes that we can make many times is that we will try to interpret the scripture by looking at the days and the times that we live in. That would be wrong and an error to do that. What we need to do is interpret the days that we live in right now by the scriptures. Because as we all know, our days and seasons and times change all the time. God's word is what? Forever. The Bible says it is established. Jesus, he's the word, right? He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God doesn't change his mind. What he says, he will do. What he says will happen is going to happen. And so we should live this way. And so, and, and really the idea behind that is this, and it's just a thought, is that we live in time. We live in years and days and months, and we live according to a calendar. God does not. See, God does not dwell in time. Time dwells in him. Before there was a calendar, there was God. And God was already establishing the calendar. He was already uh, spelling out or writing out his time frame for how these things were going to happen. Now, one of the things that we can know, and this is important, and this comes out of 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. He says, you must not forget this one thing. So he says, hey, pay attention. Don't forget this. A day is like a thousand years with the Lord and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't slack or, or being slow about his promise as some people think. 
says, no, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. So here's another key, if you will, when you interpret scripture. That a day with the Lord is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day. That's why the psalmist wrote that my life is like a vapor. (laughs) Because in God's timeline, it's quick. A hundred years, 80 years seems like a long time to us. It's like a fraction of a day for the Lord. (laughs) But this is also speaking to something else that is much deeper. That I believe uh, correlates to something from Genesis chapter 1. So... Now, I know, I mean, like my son's into dinosaurs, and so don't, don't start throwing stones at me when I tell you this. But we have 7,000 years, or actually 6,000 years of recorded human history. We can date it back. Now, I know there's artifacts, and I know there's dinosaurs. My son tells me all the time, you know, I'll say something. He's like, actually, Dad, it's da-da-da-da-da. I'm like, well, that's wonderful, son. I appreciate the knowledge. But as far as actual human history, we have 6,000 years of human history recorded that we can date like go back to the egyptians and all the hieroglyphics and all those things and we can find about six thousand years of history okay so that means jesus was here two thousand years ago that means there was four thousand years before jesus came to the earth well if a thousand years is as a day and a day is as a thousand years god created the heavens and the earth and everything that we see in how many days six days Because on the seventh day, he rested. So I can't say this a thousand percent, but I will tell you that as much as I've studied the scripture and as much as I can see from the time frames of scripture, I believe this to be true, is that the seven days of creation actually correlate to the 7,000 years of human history. And I'll give you why I believe this and some of why I think that. So in every, so a thousand years is called a millennial That's a thousand years, it's a term. So significant events of every millennial line up with the six days of creation. So day one, God creates what? Light and dark, right? And and really what happens is that light and dark are separated. And this, this really happens, so there's a natural way and a spiritual way. Is that God creates the sun for the day and the moon for night. But what happened is that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. It's the most significant event of the first thousand years of human history. Why? Because God was separated from man. Right? That's the most significant event of the first thousand years. The most significant event of the second millennial, and it's actually, we see this in the second day, is that water. God says, he, he puts water on the earth. Well, the most significant event of the second millennial is what? Noah and the flood. It's the most significant event. The third day was a promise to Abraham. That what? God said, I will bless your seed and I will create a nation from you. It's actually the nation of Israel. How many of you remember the song, Father Abraham had many sons? How many of you know that song? Come on, church people. How many of you went to kids' church? That was the third millennial. Or the third day. But he promised that. Well, what happened from that? As we see that happen with the nation of Israel. Day four, he creates the stars, the moon, the sky, all those things. The fourth millennium, we see the prophets come up very prominent in scripture. So they start declaring what God is doing, what God is saying. And he starts communicating for God. And so we see this. Even Jesus' birth was marked by what? 
the Bethlehem star, right? The wise men followed the star for approximately two and a half to three years from the far east to Jesus. They didn't come from around the block. They came from the far east. Like, well, how do you know that? Because if you go and look, they said, hey, we're looking for a young, we're looking for a baby between the ages of two and three. Well, they saw the star when Jesus was born and they followed it. So Jesus was a toddler by the time the wise men, I know I'm going to, I'm going to blow Christmas out the water. They were not at the nativity scene. They were not there. So you can just take the wise men out of your sets. You can put them somewhere else, but they weren't there with baby Jesus. They were there with toddler Jesus. You know what I'm saying? And uh, that's just, I'm sorry. I just, I can't, I can't help myself. But in day five, God creates the living creatures, right? He creates the animals. Well, what happens in the fifth millennial? Jesus was born. Jesus died. And Jesus did what? He died so that dead men could come to life. A new creation could come. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Behold, anyone who is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things, old dead things have passed away. And behold, all things have become new. This happens in the fifth millennial, the 5,000th year of human history. In the sixth day, what was the commandment to God, to to Adam in the garden? He said, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. What's happened in the last thousand years? So from 1000 AD to 2020. So 1020 years, what has happened? Humanity has spanned the globe. There's nowhere that you can't go today and find people. Save Antarctica. But we have, so man has what? Fulfilled the commandment from Genesis to Adam. We've been fruitful. We've multiplied. We've subdued the earth. Right? So that leaves the seventh day. And you're like, yeah, but what about that one? What is that? It says that God rested. The Bible talks about the millennial reign of Christ, which is a thousand year reign of Christ. Now, I won't go into all the details, but I'm going to give you a very short snippet of the timeline. The church gets raptured. There's seven years of chaos. Jesus comes back, defeats his enemies. He establishes his kingdom on earth for a thousand year reign. That is the story of how the end times will go in 15 seconds. You're welcome. I saved you a lot of time studying. But that's really what it's all about. The Bible actually says that we as believers will what? Rule and reign. You're like, well, what am I going to rule and reign? We're not, the thousand year reign is not in heaven. It's actually on a new heaven and a new earth. Like, man, I got lots of questions. So do I. (laughs) Like, I got lots of questions too. But right now we're in preparation for the way that we will live when we're in the presence of God. I've got good news. Part of that is a new body. Hey, Can I get a better amen than that? (laughs) One that won't have aches and pains and creaks and pops and make noise and all kinds of things. But it's important that we understand these things. So why why does all of this matter? And I shared this with you previously, but I want to say it again because I believe it's so important. Is that when we see a finish line, that's a cue to us that we need to hustle. We need to pick up the pace. We need to get going. Why? Because time is not infinite. It is limited. Now, I'm not here to tell you that Jesus is coming back in two years. I have no clue. 
As a matter of fact, the Bible says the angels don't know that Jesus doesn't know, that only the Father knows the exact time. But the Bible also tells us that the day will not come upon us like a thief, that we will not be unaware as believers that we can have some understanding. So I may not be able to say on March the 3rd, 2029, Jesus is coming back. And usually when I hear those types of predictions, I laugh. Because I'm like, if Jesus doesn't know, do you think you know? Like, let's just be honest about this. You probably don't know. But we have to what? We have to understand that what? The days that we live in are critical days. They're critical for everybody. Because here's what I know. Somebody will stop breathing today. And their eternity will start today. They don't care when Jesus is coming back. And for people that we know and that we have relationships with is we want to help prepare people for a life that is to come. And we want to make sure that they're prepared in the right way. And so we want to share the gospel with people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 26, it says, Don't you realize that everyone runs or that in a race everyone runs, but only one will get the prize. He says, so run to win. Anybody competitive in here? Anybody like me? I just validated you. The Bible says run to win, right? My parents used to try to tell me that winning isn't everything. And I'm like, you play to win the game, right? I mean, I know this winning's a lot more fun than losing. So if I'm gonna have fun, I gotta win. You know, I mean, I'm still in counseling. Don't worry. He says, run to win. He says, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So run with purpose in every step. Why are you on the earth at this most critical time? Because God said, I want you here. I need you here at this time. Why? Because you have influence. I don't care if you're in school. I don't care if you're at work. I don't care if it's with your family. I don't care where you are. You have influence to impact people. That's why you are where you are. And that's why God has placed you in this time and in this season and at this moment. Why? Because there is purpose and we need to live with purpose. Not just, hey, I need to take care of this detail and I've got that detail. And we don't need to be just busy about life that we forget. We are not living for this life. We are living for a life that will come. The Passion Translation worded it like this, and I liked it. It says, only one receives the victor's prize. Like, silver and bronze are great, but if I have a choice, give me the gold one. Why? Because that's the winner. Like, I don't want to be the almost there guy. I want to be the... He says, one receives the victor's... He says, uh, yet each one of you must run the race to be victorious. So I'm going to wrap up real quick. I'm going to give you five things. I'm not going to go into detail on these, but five things that we need to be doing right now. Five things that we should be doing. And these are just very practical instructions like how do we as believers live during this time so that we can make sure that we have an impact in the world around us. So number one is we need to live rightly. We need to live like we believe the Bible. Like the word holiness is not a dirty word. 
I know over the last uh, maybe 20 to 30 years, there's been a teaching about grace, which I, I needed because I didn't understand grace at all. I understood, I understood earning and I got what I earned. I didn't understand grace at all. But the problem is that, it, is that many people took it way too far in the sense of I can do whatever I want and God's okay with it. No, he's not. The Bible does have a standard. And let me say it this way. God does have an expectation of how we will live. We don't have to be perfect. That Perfection is not the goal. Jesus was perfect, so we don't have to be. But the Bible is very clear that God expects us to what? Live holy lives. He doesn't expect us to do it in our own strength, our own ability. But he says, you will be empowered by my spirit living on the inside of you. That will cause you, that will help you, that will enable you to live beyond your own frail abilities. That's good news for all of us. But the Bible tells, and it says, and this is actually, it comes out of Second uh, Peter chapter 3 verse 11. This is talking about the end times, the last days. He says, since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, he says, what holy and godly lives we should live. Why does it matter how we live our lives and why does it matter what the priorities are? Because our priorities speak to our neighbors. It is what the the truth of what we believe is not in what we say, it's by what we do. So when I'm gracious to somebody, when I'm kind to somebody who has not been kind to me, what is it? I'm living a a right life. I'm living, I'm living from righteousness, not because of what I am, but because of what God has done on the inside of me. When I love my neighbor who is not lovable, when I speak graciously, when I have a, an act of generosity to somebody, what? I'm living righteously. It's the nature and the character of God that I'm displaying to humanity. That's why it matters. So there is a standard that as believers, it's not a free for all. God saved us from sin. Not so that we can go back to it. He delivered us out of it so that we can live differently. And people are going to ask the question, why are you different? Why are you nice to that person? They're a jerk to you. Yeah, but man, God's been good to me. And I just want to be good to other people. So that's number one. Number two, live on mission. We want to live right, but we want to live on mission. We want, we want, to, be, we want to have a purpose, right? Run with purpose in every step. We need, to, we need to be mindful of that. So one of the ways you can do this is by being generous, by, dare even mention something, pray and say, Lord, what's my assignment today? Put this person in my heart. Ask why. Do I need to pray for them? Do I need to call them? Do I need to write a note? I mean, what a novel idea, right? <laughs> write a note. Give them a call. God may give you a scripture just to share with them and that, Maybe the very thing they needed to hear that day. I can't tell how many times that the Lord has given me either a phrase, a word, or a scripture for somebody. And when I step out and to give that to them, they say, thank you so much. That's a, that confirms something that God spoke to me and I wasn't sure if it was the Lord. And God doesn't just use me. God will use anybody that says yes. How do you get qualified to be used by God? Say yes. <laughs> That's it. He, he will use willing people. That's it. You don't have to qualify. You don't have to do it. No, just say, Lord, I'm willing. And he will use you. So live on mission. Number three, support the church. This is the capital C church. I don't just mean Life United in Lake Charles. There's a part of that. But we want to support the gospel work. 
People that are helping to send the gospel to nations and, and to regions and to people. We want to support the gospel. This is one of the ways that we as believers can live. Why? Because time is limited. The fourth one is to pray. Pray for God's will to be done. Not for our will to be done, but pray. 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 Why? Because when we pray, we're giving God permission in the earth to act. We're inviting him in to move and to act. And I believe that we should pray. You're like, well, I don't really know how to pray. We can help. And we will help. It's important that, because why? The Bible says that God will come back for a powerful church. And this is what I know. A prayerless church is a powerless church. Pretty simple. Churches that pray are power. Well, the Bible says that Jesus is coming back for a church that is powerful. That means we got to be a prayerful church. Because if we're a prayerless church, that means we're a church without God. That's what I know. So prayer has to be vital. And if we're going to impact people in our community, because it's, it's wonderful and I'm glad that we've been able to be a blessing. I'm glad that we've handed out who knows how many hundreds of thousands of meals at this point. A meal will feed them for a moment, but it will not change their eternity. And we have a responsibility as the church to help people. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying it, the meal by itself is not enough. There's got to be more to it than that, or it doesn't really have the full impact. The last thing, and number five is this, is to reach out and share the gospel. Now I'm going to simplify this. Tell people why you serve the Lord. It can be your story. It may be a moment. It, it may be a conviction. Sharing the gospel is easy. Why does it matter to you? You don't have to make it up. You don't have to embellish it. But share your story with people. Invite people to come to church with you. Why? Because people want to know. Well, if you don't really know why you believe, why should I believe it? And you may need to think about it and say, well, why do I really believe the scriptures? Why do I believe what God's word says? Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. He says, for I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ, the gospel of Christ. He says, it is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile says this good news makes us right or this good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. And I highlighted that God makes us right. We don't make ourselves right. Our holy living is not so that we can be accepted by God. Our holy living is in response to what God has done in our heart. So he says this is accomplished from start to finish by faith. It's not of works, it's by faith. You've got to believe God, trust God's working in your life. He says, as the scripture has said, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. So the question, again, are we there yet? Are we ready to see what God is doing? I've given you just a couple, about three or four different examples from scripture where God has spoken things ahead of time. Now, I don't know the exact time frames, and I'm not here to scare anybody. God just gives prophecy, what? To prepare us, right? This is not like an escape theology, but if God said he's coming, I want to make sure I'm on the first elevator load. Like, right? Like, I, I ain't got nothing to prove. <laughs> I don't need to be prove that I'm tough. I made it through the tribulation. 
No, thank you. Got nothing to prove. I want to go. (laughs) First load. Why would I want to stick around for something God said I don't have to? So how do you know if you're going to be raptured? It's actually very simple. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Because Jesus made the statement, says, I'm coming for those who are mine. Like those who know me. And it's a relationship with the Lord and it's, and it's important. And, and, and you don't have to do anything to earn it, but you do have to receive it. There's a surrender of your life and a surrender of your heart that has to take place. And so this morning, I want to give you the opportunity, whether you're here in the room, whether you're watching online today, I forgot to mention.